Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. Our goal is that this message builds your faith and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. I am so glad to be here tonight. Uh, this is a, this is really a uh, special night um, because we are actually kicking off a um, three parts Wednesday night series tonight. Okay, so it's something special. It's a little bit different, but something I'm really um, excited about. Um, but just to let y'all know ahead of time, um, I have had about a month off um, from preaching. So I feel, if I feel a little rusty, forgive me. I'm now a married man, okay? So I've had about, you know, um, I'll be, we'll be celebrating one month um, this Saturday. So that's a huge milestone, right? Right? No, I'm just kidding. But um, there's a quote that I heard about marriage before I got married, and it sound, it's, now it's even more real in my mind. They say they describe this marriage as a relationship where one person is always right and the other person is, is the husband. And um, I'm slowly realizing that it's best for me to say, yes, babe, you're right. You know, that is exactly what we should do. Um, and I, I know that we're gonna, I'm going to live longer doing that. So tonight we are kicking off a Wednesday night series, and I, I'm, 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 I'm going to do things a little different because of that. And so usually I open up with Scripture and, um, and uh, open up with the, the Scripture that we're going to uh, read from. But instead, um, I'm going to open up with this, uh, the title of our series and explain that title. Um, but before I do that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for tonight. Uh, we thank you, Jesus, that we have gathered in this house under your name, Jesus, that we just want to be a part of something that you have given us, God. We want to be a part of the body of Christ, God. So we just thank you, Father, that uh, you just communicate through me um, what you want to be communicated, that I am just a willing vessel, your hands and feet, and that I just want to say what the Holy Spirit wants to say to your people, Father. And God, let the line at Raising Cane's not be that long. In the name of Jesus, because it was crazy long when I passed it earlier. God, Victoria, right? In the name of Jesus, amen. Doesn't it seem like when something new opens up, but don't get me wrong, Raising Cane's is a big deal, okay, because I'd be out there too if I wasn't, you know, here. But um, it's like I was driving on the way here to church, and the line was like halfway down Navarro. I was like, come on, Victoria. I mean, I expected that, but I didn't expect that much, you know, because we make such a big deal about new things in town. But, um, you know, with that being said, I'm probably going to go there after church. Um, so uh, I'm not going to open up with scripture, like I said. So you can start, go ahead and start the live stream um, team back there if you haven't so already. And let's give a hand clap for people tuning in online, on Facebook. Uh, make them feel welcome. Okay, so I want you to turn to your neighbor and say the series title for the next, you know, three weeks. Turn to your neighbor, tap them, and say, no offense, but, but, okay. All right, that's a series title that we're going to be staying at for the next three weeks. And don't you just love what this phrase gives you the opportunity to do? Doesn't it seem like when you say no offense, you can then follow it with something super rude, but have the cover to do it, you know? Like, you can say no offense, but, and then you can say what's really on your mind. Does anybody hear me? Like, when, any, any, when somebody is talking to me, and they start their sentence with no offense, like, I'm, like, putting my helmet on. Like I'm, getting, like, I'm getting ready to be really offended, right? But with Jesus, right, because it always runs with him, if you were to hang around Jesus, if you were one of his 12 disciples, I would almost challenge you to say that he would say some things that might offend you. 
that, like, that he would say some things that would make you feel like that was controversial to say. All right, y'all look at me like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. So I'll, I'll say some scripture. Okay, like, imagine you're one of his 12 disciples. Imagine if you're Peter, right, the rock of the early church, one of his earliest disciples, and you're Peter, you're Jesus' homeboy, right? But then Jesus looks at Peter one time in um, Matthew 16, 23, and he said, Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? I was like, what? That's kind of offensive. You know, that's Peter. You know, you've known him for a while. Or he might, or Jesus might call a group of uh, community leaders or, or religious leaders, he, he might call a group of, of those people a brood of vipers, you know, that's a little controversial, like he did in Matthew 12, 34. Or he might be in a, having a conversation with a group of people, and he's talking to a rich man, and then he might, might look at that wealthy man and say, hey, look, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying that while talking to someone who's wealthy. Like, that's kind of, like, offensive, right? Like, Jesus, don't you know you might hurt his feelings if you say that, right? But he says that in, Matthew, in Mark 10, 25. So... I would say what, what is, is inspiring um, this is that if you hang around Jesus, he would say things that would offend your flesh. I would go as far to say that Jesus would say some things so controversial that it would offend your thinking and hurt your feelings. Okay, let me, let me give you more scripture. Okay, so this scripture, turn with me to John 6, 60 through 66, and this is going to be the scriptural base um, of the No Offense But series. Okay, um, if you dare say I'm here, I heard like half a person. I don't know what that was. I heard like I'm here, you know. Okay, I'm just gonna say it anyways. Okay, verse 60. It says this. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, "Let me give you some context first. So Jesus has just uh, given like a great message to a group of his followers, and he's giving some teachings, and he's dropping some wisdom, and these people are soaking it all in, and then, and then this is how they respond to this teaching from the greatest teacher to ever lived. And they say this in verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Is this, is this offensive right now? Verse 62 says, Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, but the flesh counts for nothing. See, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. I, I just want to talk about that for a little bit. He just said, look, what, what I am speaking to you, what I am explaining to you, I'm speaking through spirit, life, and truth. So if you're offended, it's not that your spirit is offended, it's that your flesh is offended, right? He said, I'm not saying things that, that, that is not true. I, I'm, saying things, I'm saying things that are the truth and the life. So if you're offended right now, you need to check yourself because that's not your spirit, that's your flesh. And 64 says, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. In 65, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. In 66, he says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They turned back, they heard what he was saying, they got offended, and they turned back and they stopped following after Jesus. That's, that sounds like, us, some, like some of us, maybe, or some people that you may know, okay? Like, you know, you're following after Jesus, and all of a sudden the lifestyle of Jesus offends your flesh. So instead of, you know, uh, 
tampering your flesh. Instead, you're turning your back on Jesus. So this is what those followers just said. So what that scripture says to me is that it is uncomfortable to be a follower of Jesus. That if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you better be ready to be outside your comfort zone. Right? So much, I, I would say that if you're a Christian and you're comfortable, that should be an oxymoron. There shouldn't be no such thing as a comfortable Christian. Right? Amen. Some people, some people are, maybe. Right? You shouldn't be a Christian living a godly lifestyle, but then be comfortable with your flesh. You should constantly be battling against that, saying, no, I want to grow more in Jesus. I don't want to give into my flesh. I want to give into my spirit. See, your flesh is something that if you're not intentionally battling it, then you are unintentionally becoming it. That's why you can't be a comfortable Christian. Because that's one of the lies of the enemy. He wants you to be, he said, okay, you're going to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, but be, if you be comfortable with it, then he knows that you can stay in your flesh. And that you're not stepping into the fullness thereof. And you're not stepping into the, the calling and the purpose he has for you. Because let me tell you, if you're comfortable right now, then you're not in your calling right now. Because there's no such thing as a comfortable Christian in their calling. If there's a comfortable Christian, then that's a stagnant Christian, right? Amen? I know that's a little... No offense, but, right? right? I said that ahead of time. No offense, but. You see, you have two choices. You can either get offended and leave, like those disciples and those followers of Jesus did in first 66. Do, I know there's, don't look around, but who knows some people who as soon as they get offended, instead of, you know, trying to grow up and learn, they get up and leave? No offense, but, right? Remember, okay, don't look around, no offense, but. Right? Do we know any of those people that as soon as they get offended, instead of saying, hey, you know what, I, I want to learn, and I, I, I want to I try to learn from this and, and, and grow in this, instead of doing that, they get offended, and they say, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore, and they get up and leave. So you can either be one of those people, or you can be what Jesus describes in Matthew 16, uh, verse 24, where he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's some powerful words right there. What he is saying is saying, if you want to be a follower of me, you got to deny your flesh, and you got to pick up your cross. He didn't say you got to pick up what is comfortable. He didn't say that. He said you got to pick up your cross. And the thing about the cross is that the cross was an instrument of death, meaning that he's saying if you're going to pick up your cross, what, when he told his disciples that, he said, whoa, 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 hold up. Picking up your cross, that is uncomfortable. That is challenging. That is something that's going to push me outside of my comfort zone. And Jesus said that's the point, right? If you're going to be a follower of me, you got to deny your flesh, pick up your cross, because this Christian life is not for your comfort zone. This lifestyle that I've called you to be, it's not for your comfort zone. It's for something bigger and larger than that. Because here's what I want to say, no offense but. Jesus didn't come to fulfill your flesh. He came to offend your flesh. Amen? Jesus didn't come to fulfill your flesh. He came to offend your flesh. Meaning that when you get to know him more, you shouldn't say, oh, man, um, Jesus is really making me feel like it's okay to sin. You know, it's okay to do bad things. No, he came to offend that part of you. He came to offend that carnal nature. He came to say, hey, you know what? I see where you're at. I love you so much that I don't want you to stay there anymore, right? It's not, right, amen? Jesus says, I love you so much that I could let you stay where you're at, but I want you to be more of that. I want you to step fully into the calling that I have for you and see the joy that I have in your future and in your purpose. 
You see, Hebrews 4.12 says in Scripture that the Word of God is a two-edged sword, separating soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Amen? Let me say it again. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is a two-edged sword, separating soul and spirit, bone and marrow, meaning that the Word of God is supposed to cut your flesh. That whenever you read that scripture, whenever you read it, it should offend your flesh. It should make you say, make your flesh feel uncomfortable. It should make your flesh say, hold up, I don't want to change my way of thinking. You know, I'm okay, you know, um, maybe not cussing, not doing that, but I I really want to keep the lust side of me. I really want to keep this side of me. No, when you read the scripture of God, it's supposed to offend your flesh. Amen? Y'all hear what I'm saying? The word of God is a two-edged sword. So the word of God is supposed to irritate your flesh and provoke your thinking. See, this series is all about provoking old thinking, challenging our comfort zone, and offending our flesh. Are y'all ready for this series? Are y'all ready? It's not too late, okay, because I'm about to start. So it's not too late. All right, let's start with it. Let's start with, with the scripture. So turn with me to Job 38, 1 through 11, and, and we'll start... Um, Part one of the series, Job chapter 38, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to speak from the message version tonight from that scripture. Before we get started, I want to give some context. So we're reading about the story of Job, and a lot of us know the story. Um, Job is this righteous man who um, has really been doing everything right. He, he's, he is successful. He's been doing everything right in the eyes of God, like you couldn't find anything to blame this guy for. And so he's living a good life. He is successful. And then without warning, with nobody telling him something trouble was on the way, his life gets turned upside down in an instant. It says in Scripture, in Job, in Job 1, it says that his, his servants and his farmhands were murdered by raiders. And then it said that his, his lambs and his sheep were all burned up in a fire. And then it says after that, his sons and daughters all died in a tornado, all in the same day. That's a pretty bad day, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's, that doesn't sound a good day to me. And then after that, it says that he then had boils and, and, and bruises put for all over his body from the tops of his head to the soles of his feet. So in an instant, this righteous man who had no wrongdoing, who, who didn't have, have was, who was living the right lifestyle, who was, who was living the, the Christian-style life, all of a sudden his life gets turned upside down, and he doesn't understand why. And he's trying to figure it out. And Job is trying to understand what did he do to deserve this. And so for over 30 chapters in the book of Job, he's having a conversation um, with his friends, and he's, and he's talking with them, and he's, and he's telling them, what did I do to de- deserve this? And then he starts blaming God. And then he starts questioning him, and he starts blaming God for all his problems, and he starts saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. I don't deserve this. And so for 30-plus chapters, he is complaining about God. He is questioning God. He is challenging God. And for all that time, there's no response from God. But then God finally responds in Job 38, chapter 1 through 11. That is what we're reading. Verse 1, it says, and now finally... God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. He said, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job, up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. You know, 
God's being a little offensive right now. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? How was its foundation poured? Who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise. And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. And so God responds to Job after all this question. He said, Job, you know what? And then, he's, and then he basically says what the first part of the no offense but series. So, so touch your neighbor. Touch your neighbor and tell him part one. Say, neighbor, no offense, but you don't know how much you think you do. You don't know how much you think you do. So Job is arguing with God, right? And he's shaking his fist, and he's saying, this ain't right. What you did here was wrong. Why did you do this? I don't understand that. Does that sound like us sometimes, you know, arguing with God, not understanding what's going on with our lives and why it's happening? So he's arguing with God, and, and he's trying to, he's, he's blaming it on him, and he's putting all this, he's shaking his fist at God, and God responds, says, okay, you think you know everything? Okay, oh, you, you think you know why these things are, or you think you have me figured out? Let me tell you something. You don't know how much you think you do. You see, God looked at Job, and he said, no offense, man, no offense, but you don't know how much you think you do. Because the moment you think you know everything is the moment you begin to lose everything, right? The moment you, think, the moment you begin to think you know it all is the moment you lose it all. Let me explain. In Matthew 5, 6, it said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. It said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, right? But it's hard to be hungry when you think you are full, right? It's hard to be, to be thirsty when you think you are quenched. So when you think you know it all, you begin to lose it all. So Job was starting to think, you know what, God, I have you figured out. I think I have you figured out, and I think I know why this is happening. And you know what? I have came to my conclusion. It's your fault. And he starts pointing out his finger. He said, hold up, Job. Hold up. You don't know all that you think you do. And so we aren't supposed to, we're supposed to get in that same mindset of saying, you know what? As much as I've learned, as much as, I've, 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 as I think I do know or think I know, I don't know nearly how much that God knows, right? I don't know the, the same overall picture that God knows, See, the quickest way to kill your hunger is to convince yourself that you are full. Socrates, one of the greatest thinkers of all recorded history, and he was a philosopher. He was somebody who, who people looked up to and asked questions about and people who thought he was a super genius. And at the end of his life, after all his learning, after all his thinking, somebody came up to him and they were recording his thoughts. He said, okay, okay Socrates, you know, um, sir, what is the, the one thing you can say for sure that you know? And this is, this is what he said to him. He said, if there is one thing that I know, it's that I know nothing. He said, if there's one thing that I know for sure, it's that I know nothing. Meaning that if we're somebody, right, and we're nowhere near the thinking capacity of Socrates, most of us at least, and if we think that we know it all, Right? If we think we have all the answers, let me tell you something. You really don't know how much you think you do. And that's what God was telling Job, because the more you think you understand, the less understanding you will receive. If you think you understand it all, if you think you don't need any more knowledge or any more wisdom, you're not going to receive it. 
If you're full glass, there's no more pouring into you that God can do. You have to have that constant mindset of, God, I need more of you. Amen? See, that was the problem with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were know-it-alls, right? They had the whole Old Testament memorized front and backwards. Everybody knew that if they had a religious, religious question to go to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So these guys are standing tall. They think they know it all. And all of a sudden, this man named Jesus enters the room with them, and they have no idea what he's talking about. And, and, and Jesus is questioning their understanding. Jesus is questioning their thinking. And, and instead of saying, hey, you know what, let's hear this guy out, they instead tried to kill him. Because if you think you know it all, you won't even try to understand other people. You won't even try to understand other perspectives. Because if you think you have all the answers, you won't be looking for new ones, right? And so a lot of times what our problem is, isn't, is what our main problem is, is that we think we have all the answers. I mean, really, all we have is just a drop in the cup of what God can offer us. But because we think we know it all, because we think we have all the answers, and because we keep the lid on our, on our cup closed, God can't pour anything into us. You see, the less you know, the better you listen. The less you know, the better you listen. That doesn't mean that, you know, um, you should know less. Well, that, what that means is that if you, sing, if you say, God, all the things you've taught me, I still have so much hunger on the inside of me that I need, to, I need more of you. I need to know more. I need to, I need to get more of you. You see, when, when somebody tells me that they don't need God, I always have to think, so, well, you obviously don't know the guy. You know, you obviously haven't spent time with the guy, right? Because the more you spend time with God, the more you learn about him, the more you know how much you need to know, right? Like the more you learn about God, the more you, you learn how much more you need of him right? The, the more that you spend time with Jesus, the more you realize, golly, I rely on this guy so much. My thinking was so, so small tile, so short picture, right? The more you spend time with God, the more you realize how big he is and how small you are. Amen? Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, there's always more to learn. There's always more. There's always more to learn. You don't know how much you think you do. Put the pride down, right? See, Job, Job thought that he knew why God did all these things. And so he responded to God out of his own understanding. Right? He responded to this huge, you know, omnipresent, right, knowing, all-knowing God. He responded to him with his own understanding, his own small, finite understanding. And that leads me to point two. Or God's not meant to be understood. God's meant to be obeyed. I'm going to say that again. God's not meant to be understood. God's meant to be obeyed. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and your thoughts higher than your thoughts. Here's the problem. As humans, and we can all relate to this, we all have this, this desire to understand everything around us, right? We have this desire of, to understand our environment. We have this, this, this inner desire to comprehend what is going on around us, right? We, we have this hunger. Like, we want to know. We want to understand. Um, you know, we, we, we look at, 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 the, at the moon and the stars and at the weather and want to understand what's going on, right? We have this 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 hunger to understand. But see, 
God's understanding is beyond our capabilities, and his ways are above our ways, and his thoughts are above our thoughts, meaning that we were never meant to understand God. You weren't, you weren't meant to. You, you can't. You can't. Because, see, if you were able to understand God, then you, in turn, would be God. Right? If you could understand everything that God had for you, then you wouldn't need God, right? Because if you knew what was around the corner, if you knew, if you could see in the future, and if you were all knowing, all of a sudden you don't even need to spend time with God because you would take his place. But see, look, here's the thing. We're not God, right? We're not meant to understand him. We're meant to disobey him. We're meant to obey him no matter what. You see, People who claim they knew, people who, who, who claim that they don't need God, right, they obviously don't know him because God has so much to offer you. God has so many things. God has so many ideas. God has so many promises. God has so many things just exactly that you need that if you just spend time with him and you put down your own understanding and step outside of your comfort zone, amen, and you, and, and you spend time with him, God has so much to offer you. See, wouldn't this walk of faith be easier if you knew, you know, the plan of God, like, fully? Like, wouldn't that be easier to follow after him because you're like, oh, okay, I, I can see A, B, C. I can see how that works out, you know. Wouldn't it be easier if to, if to trust God if you knew exactly what was going on and, and you knew exactly what he was doing and you knew exactly how it all was going to work out? Wouldn't it be much more easier to follow after God? Or wouldn't it be easier to take that leap of faith if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to land safely on the other side? Like, wouldn't that just make everything so much easier? But see, that would be a life without faith. Because what faith is all about is obeying God even though you don't fully understand. What a life of faith is being obedient in the uncertain. And you're saying, God, even though I don't fully understand this, I don't know how you're going to do this, and I don't know how this is all going to work out, I'm going to obey you anyways because I believe that you're a good, good father. Amen. See, faith is not exercise in the knowing, but the unknowing. See, faith is being obedient despite your uncertainty. See, your need of understanding can be the source of your undoing. And that's a little difficult, but I'm going to say that. The, the, your need of understanding can be the source of your undoing. Let me explain. So God is, is, is in, in some situations, you might, be saying, you might be telling you, say, hey, it's time to step out. It's time for you to step outside your, your comfort zone. It's time for you to step out. But then we respond with God, but we respond with God. We say, yeah, well, first God, explain how everything's going to work out, right? Before I can step out, I didn't know that everything's going to work out. Like, that's what we tell God. And then God said, no, you got you to be obedient to me. You got to step out no matter what. You got to step out by faith. But then we say, God, no, fool, let me fully first understand how everything's going to work out. Then I step out. Y'all see what we're doing? Like, we're, we, we want to step out, but first we want to know, make sure that it's going to work out. Let me tell you something. Stepping out by faith is stepping out by obedience, even if you don't know if it's going to work out or not. That's faith. That is faith that God, ha that, that, is, that takes to follow after God. See, don't be confined by your own mind, and don't be imprisoned by your own comprehension. Let me say that again. Don't be confined by your own mind, and don't be imprisoned by your own comprehension, meaning that we're not just supposed to live life in our own minds, in our own understanding, right? We're not just supposed to uh, live everyday life doing what we can understand, following what we know will be true, going after what we can see, how everything's going to work out. If you did that, if you live life just based on your own understanding, let me tell you, you're going to live a small life. Because we have small minds, 
and we're small people. But if you live life outside of your understanding and say, God, I, I could live in my comfort zone, but I want to live in your calling, and you step outside of your understanding, let me tell you, that is when you reach impossible things. That's when you can do things. People say, well, well how did you do that? I know you're not smart enough to do it. I know you don't understand. How did you accomplish that? And you can look to them and say, it has nothing to do about me. It has nothing to do about what I know. Amen. And you can say, no, you see, because what happened with me is that I decided to step outside of my understanding. And I said, you know what, even though I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills, I'm going to step out by faith and pay my tithes anyways, right? And you're going to say, I, I don't know if everybody's going to like me, but I'm going to live the life and the lifestyle God has called me to anyways, right? That is stepping outside of your understanding and saying, Father, I don't know how everything's going to work out, but I'm going to follow you anyways, Amen. You see, when you step out by faith, you're saying to God, you're saying, I trust your planning more than my own understanding. You're saying, God, I trust you more than I trust me. Because when you don't act out by faith, what you're really saying is saying, God, I know you know everything and I know you're good, but I don't really trust you right now. Like, I, I trust my own understanding more than I trust yours. Doesn't that sound dumb? Like, he's God. He knows everything. Like, he knows, you know, how everything's going to end, but yet you don't trust him. You trust your small, finite minds more than an all-knowing God. But when you say, God, I trust your planning more than my own understanding, that's what true faith is about. When you say, God, I trust your intervention more than my own comprehension, what you're saying is saying, God, I don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't really understand what your plan is for my life. Let me throw in a quick nugget. If you fully understand your calling, I hate to break it to you, then it might not be your calling, okay? Because you're not supposed to understand it. You're not supposed to know how everything's going to work out. You're not supposed to know A, B, C, 1, 2, 3. That's God's job, right? That's God's place. Our job is just to be obedient. Our, God, our job is not to be in control. Our job is to give up control, amen? Will you all stand up with me tonight? I'm going to close, and Haley, you can join me. You see, we're reading about the story of Job, and, and early in Scripture, in, in Job 9, 33, 35, Job has this, as he's having this dialogue, he has this revelation that he's missing something. And I want you all to catch this, because I never caught this before. Job 33 uh, through 35, it says this. Now, this is just him talking aloud, talking to his friends, talking how he needs to approach the Father, talking about how he wants to communicate with God. And he says this, he says in, in, in chapter 9, if only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. And he's talking about God. The, the mediator could make God stop beating me, and I, I would no longer live in terror of his, of his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. What we just read, see, the book of Job was written 2,000 years before Christ, 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus, yet Job realizes that he has a need. And he realizes, he doesn't really know, but he has this need for a mediator. And he doesn't even know what he's talking about, but he's talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is our mediator. 
Jesus is the only way to the Father. Because what he's saying in, in, in chapter 9, he's saying, man, I, I want to talk to God, but I can't do this. I'm not worthy. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not, I'm not perfect enough. God is perfect. I'm not. There needs to be a bridge. There needs to be a mediator. There needs to be somebody between me and God, me and the Father, who can connect us. And without him even knowing about it, he's talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is the mediator, and nobody gets the Father except through him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? That leads me to our final point tonight. We don't have to know all the answers because Jesus is the final answer. We don't have to know all the answers, amen, because Jesus is the final answer. It doesn't matter the problems life presents because Jesus is always going to be the solution. It doesn't matter what what life throws at you because Jesus is always going to be your shield in front of you. You see, we have something that Job didn't. We have access to to something that Job was only dreaming about, wishing for. We have Jesus on the inside of us. Amen? You see, it's not that we receive Jesus, but that Jesus receives us. It's not that we take control, but that we give up control, and we are washed by the blood and become child of the Most High. What does that mean? That means I might not know know what my future holds, but I know for sure who holds my future, right? I don't know, you know, I I don't know if I truly belong, or I don't know where I truly belong, but I know who I belong to. When you're a child of God, you no longer have to be afraid, what Job was saying in verse 33, you don't have to be afraid of God anymore, because now he does, when God looks at you, he doesn't see sin, he doesn't see all the wrong things you did, he doesn't see all the things that, that you wish you could do over when he looks at you he sees your son or he sees his son and he sees Jesus and he sees that you are covered by his blood and so when he looks at you he looks at you with eyes of saying ah my child is here see we have access to something Job didn't we have access to something that he was only dreaming and wishing for we have access to Jesus we have access to salvation and here's about the thing about salvation you're not meant to understand it. You're just meant to receive it, right? It goes beyond our understanding. So what I want us to do tonight is I just want us to sing a song. But I want us to pray, and I want us to draw a circle around ourselves, and I want us to pray out to God and say, say, Father, get me out of my understanding. Get me out of my comprehension. I no longer want to be trapped in my mind, but I want to be set free. I no longer want the enemy to use my mind against me. I no longer want the enemy to convince me of lies, to convince me of fears. I want to have the mind of Christ. So let's sing together. Let's sing one song, and let's God's presence, the Holy Spirit, change us from the inside out. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Life Center podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, then subscribe and follow us on social media at CLC Victoria. Connect with us by visiting our website, clcvictoria.org.